0: Let me ask you, uh, who are you? Who am I? Who are you? What does it mean to be human? Listen to, to Psalm 8. The psalmist writes, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, God, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them? That's our question today. What does it mean to be human? Who are we? The great famous philosopher Immanuel Kant sat on a park bench one day for hours upon hours upon hours, just staring into space. And the people who passed by were so concerned about him, they phoned the police. And the police arrived and said, Sir, are you okay? And Immanuel Kant said, I- I'm just thinking. And the policeman said, Sir, who are you? And Kant said, That's exactly what I've been thinking. Who am I? Who are we? Who are you? What does it mean to be human? It's a question that you've got to answer, my friends. Who are you? Who are we? How would you answer that? You know, it is the greatest showman right? I am brave. I am bruised. I'm who I'm meant to, meant to be. This is me. Is Lady Gaga right? Born to be me. Is Instagram right? You do you. You define yourself. You be who you want to be. Or is the Bible perhaps right? The Bible is stunningly simple yet profound. Here it is You are created by God in the image of God for the glory of God. You are created by God in the image of God for the glory of God. That's who we are, created by God, in the image of God, for the glory of God, and when you grasp that and understand that and believe that and live that, it is liberating and life-transforming. Let's fact created by God. We are created by God. So turn back to Genesis chapter one, the, the very first chapter in the Bible, the very first verse. Chapter one, verse one: "In the beginning, God created." God created because the story of humanity, our identity, our value, our dignity, our worth, our place in this world, it must begin with God. And in Genesis, there's no embarrassment, there's no explanation about where God comes from because God is God and God is eternal. It's just this breathtakingly beautiful start to the scriptures. We start with darkness and disorder and chaos and the earth is formless and empty. But then God speaks with profound power and apparent ease. And like a majestic artist, he creates colour and complexity and order and structure and form and filling. So it's God who creates the heavens And the earth, verse 1. It is God who who forms light and then fills that light with the moon and the sun and flings stars into space. It's God who forms the stunning skies and then fills those skies with gliding eagles and beautiful butterflies. It is God who forms the, the seas and the oceans and then fills the oceans with tiny fish and whopping whales. It is God who forms the land and then fills that land with luscious vegetation and massive trees. It's God who creates animals in all their various kinds, wild and tame, big and small. And God keeps on saying, it was good, it was good, it was good. And that is not God patting himself on the back. That is God saying that his creation has purpose and meaning and significance And so in Genesis 1, we've got this extraordinary creation exploding with possibility, but it's not complete. Uh, The centrepiece, the the masterpiece, the apex of creation is not finished yet, but that masterpiece is not a dazzling sun or a shooting star, and that masterpiece is not the gigantic leviathan or a, a proud, roaring lion. This is God's masterpiece, It has no wings to fly. It has no gills to to breathe underwater. No, God's masterpiece has skins and bone and two, two eyes and two ears and one mouth and these strange fingers and toes. And God calls it a human being because we are God's masterpiece. Genesis 1 verse 26. Then God says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So, verse 27 God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There it is. God created humankind. Male and female, he created them. So you've got two genders, male and female. And I know that marking that distinction today is increasingly unpopular. We'll look at that in a few weeks' time. But as human beings, we are God's masterpiece created by the powerful, majestic God. Perhaps the most famous depiction of creation is on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican City in Rome. Painted over 500 years ago, Michelangelo spent four years perched 70 foot high on scaffolding to paint that ceiling, and it's magnificent. And what strikes you is that it's all God initiating. It's the power of God to create. So friends, as human beings, we are not God. And I think some people need to realise that. We are not God. Human beings are not all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-sufficient. We don't own this world, but God does. We're just creatures. But we are different from the animals. That's important. We're not just glorified animals. There's a repeated word in Genesis chapter 1 for the animals. You might have spotted it. According to their kind. According to their kind. But when you come to humanity, there is no kind, we're just human. He doesn't break us down into different races or ethnicities or kinds, we're just humans. And we're distinct because verse 26 tells us that we are made in the image of God, and we'll look at that in a moment. They're the animals. They are not created in the image of God as marvellous as they are. The sun, the moon, and the stars are not created in the image of God as magnificent as they are. The oceans are not created in the image of God as, as vast as they are, but we are created in the image of God. I hope you know that. It's Psalm 139. God, you knit me together in my mother's womb. From that, from that moment of conception to the formation of a tiny body, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You ever thought about the human body? It's extraordinary, it's complex, it's beautiful, it's intricate. That's why why so many scientists are Christians because how do you explain the extraordinary human body without a creator God? We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We have these extraordinary human bodies and our bodies do matter. We'll look at that in a later sermon as well. No, the Lord Jesus Christ had a physical body. We will have resurrection bodies. We are bodies, but we're more than bodies. We're more than just joints and bones and blood and skin. We, we have a soul. We have a spiritual element. I flick over to Genesis 2, that moment when Adam comes to life. It's mysterious. It's moving. Genesis 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So God formed the body of Adam from the dust of the earth, from the elements. He formed the bones and the internal organs from dust. But then God stoops down and breathes into the nostrils. And only when God breathes life into that physical body does man become a living being. And again, God does not breathe life into the stars and to the sun and to the rivers, but he does that to human beings because we are spiritual, we have a soul. So who are you? You're created by God. There are two implications here. The first is dependency. As creatures, we are totally dependent on our creator. I love that word, breathed. It just reminds me that Every breath in my lungs is given by my God. Every day of my existence is given by my God. And when God takes away my breath, then I will die. We're dependent on God. We belong to Him. The earth is His and everything in it. We submit to Him. This is God's world. We are just the tenants. He sets the rules. We live under His code of conduct. So we're dependent on Him as creatures. But it also means we have dignity. If we're created in the the image of God, we have dignity. Our our value, our worth, our identity is defined by God, not by our world. There's this Western cultural lie, it's called extrinsic worth, where we value different human beings differently depending on what they contribute to society, their accomplishments, their wealth, their education. So we, we celebrate and elevate certain significant people And we denigrate and shame other insignificant people. How dare we do that? If we're not careful, we start to find our dignity and our worth in what other people say about us. I remember as a child, I was being told constantly as a child, Paul, you are weak, you are skinny, you are fragile, you are frail. And when you start to hear that voice again and again, you start to believe it. Maybe I am a loser, maybe I am a waste of space, maybe I am worthless. Friends, there are some people watching this morning who need to hear this. You are not worthless. You're not a waste of space. You're not a failure, you're not an accident. Because your dignity and your worth and your value and your identity is not what other people say about you what the world says about you, but what your God says about you, and your God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And perhaps you to say that to yourself right now, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm not just a bunch of random chemicals or glorified ape. I am not too fat or too skinny. I'm not too old or too young or too pretty or too ugly. I'm a human being created by a majestic God. I am who God says I am. That is your dignity. That is your worth. But it's not about just your dignity. It's about the dignity of all people. If every human being is created by God, then every human being has value and worth. Every life is a miracle. Every child is a blessing. Every old person is valuable. Every person has infinite value regardless of their intelligence, their wealth, their looks, their abilities or their disabilities. Every life is precious. The elderly, the disabled, the poor, the destitute, they are human beings. How dare we treat them as subhuman? That's our dignity, that's our worth. Who are you? You're created by God. Number two, in the image of God. In many ways, that word image is the key word for this whole series Genesis 1 verse 26 again. God says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Notice there are two different words there image and likeness. There's lots of debate over that. I think they mean roughly the same thing. But what's an image? An image is a reflection. So if you look in a mirror, you get an image. If you take a photograph, you get an image. You may like it or not like it, but it's still your image. Uh, people say, oh, you look like somebody. You sound like somebody. You're the spitting image of somebody. But well, to be in the image of God means that in, in, a, in a mind-blowing kind of way, God has imprinted his DNA into every human being. What does it mean to be in the image of God? I've got four R's. It means we're rational beings. Back in 200 AD, Irenaeus said this, humanity is endowed with reason and in this respect is like God. James Orr said, people are spiritual self-conscious beings with a a personality. We have rationality and the capacity for a moral life. So as human beings, we are, are Rational creatures, we have this intellectual capacity that we can think, reason, learn, explain, formulate thoughts and ideas. Animals can't and don't do that. As human beings, we have this extraordinary thing called a brain or a mind and we're supposed to use it for good and for God's glory. Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. But God says, you are, therefore you should think. And like God, our brains are not just analytical, they are creative brains. We can paint and sculpt and make music and build and compose and play. Our minds are brilliant. Not just our minds, it's our morality, our conscience. As as human beings, we have this innate sense of morality, this sense of justice, this sense of right and wrong. And the Bible says that every human being has a sense of right and wrong. We are rational beings. We are responsible beings. Look at Genesis 1 verse 28. God says, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. That word subdue means to to bring under control, to manage. Keep reading. Rule over the fish and the birds. Rule is that, that word of authority or power or dominion. And we see that in Genesis chapter 2 where where God brings the animals to Adam and Adam names the animals. That's the authority, the power, the rule. We're supposed to be responsible beings ruling over God's creation. Listen carefully. Dominion does not mean domination. As human beings, we were never called to, to bludgeon the animal kingdom but to steward it. In Genesis 2, we're given this task of working in the ground and bringing order to God's world so it would be fruitful. We're called to care for God's world and bring about God's good purpose in his world. That's what we're called to do, to be responsible tenants of God's creation, to ensure that the the world is cared for and people are cared for. Image of God means we are rational, responsible. We are representative beings. This blows my mind. It's a bit like an ambassador living in a foreign country sent to represent that country in a foreign land. And God creates humanity almost to, to represent himself in his world. We're supposed to display God's character to the world that he formed. So when we look at other human beings, we should see in them something of God. Now again, read your Bible. Our God sees hears, speaks, thinks, feels, and moves. Now look at yourself, look at human beings. We've got eyes to see, we've got ears to hear, we've got minds to think, we've got hearts to feel and legs to move because we're God's agents, God's representatives, and he even entrusts us with communicating his good gospel. But it's more than that. God defines himself as holy, holy, Loving, forgiving, and caring. What does the Bible say? Leviticus 19, be holy as I am holy. Ephesians 4, forgive as I have forgiven you. 1 John 4, love as I have loved you. This is what it means to be human. We were created to display holiness and forgiveness and love and compassion and care. That's what it means to be human, to represent the character of God in this world. We are rational, responsible, representative, and we are relational beings. Karl Bart said this. Humanity is uniquely fitted for relationships. That is Genesis 1 verse 26. Look at it again. God said, let us make mankind in our image. It's a bizarre verse. Let us. Not let me, but let us. Who's he talking about? The us is not God and the angels. The us is God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The us is the the Trinitarian God who's in perfect relationship with himself. The us there is three equal and eternal persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who live in perfect harmony and coexist beautifully together. And it's like our humanity should represent that trinity. We're created for relationships. Relationship with the created world, yes, of course. But to be human means that we must relate to other human beings. Remember that phrase in Genesis 1? It was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. But in Genesis 2, one thing is not good. Genesis 2 verse 18, the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him because the animals don't cut it. Adam needs human companionship, co-workers for the garden, other human beings to do life with. He's not just talking about marriage. He's talking about this basic human need for other human beings, for companionship, for community, for friendship, for family, for social interactions, because we are relational beings. I think this is a very timely word. We were never intended for isolation. There's something profoundly wrong with loneliness. I'm not talking about solitude. It's good, it's okay to spend a bit of time alone with your God. But that feeling of isolation and loneliness, uh, some people go for, for days and weeks and months without any social interaction, that is profoundly wrong. It's not what we're created for. It is not good to be alone. We need other people. Now, how can we love and care and show kindness and forgiveness in a vacuum? We're created for relationships. Relationship with other people, but primarily the relationship with God. We're created as human beings to know God and to be known by God because we're not just bodies, we are spiritual beings. I love that picture in Genesis 3 of the Lord God walking in the garden, the call of the day, God walking with his people. It's just this natural, normal thing that God knows his people. He wants them to know him. I often go for a a prayer walk or I pray as I'm running And it's just natural. I just talk to God. And sometimes I talk out loud and people think I'm crazy. I just want to spend time with my God because my God hears me and he cares for me. He's the best listener. He's a formidable problem solver. He's a fabulous father and a faithful friend. We're created for this relationship with God. And I know this is controversial. But we will never appreciate our humanity without that relationship with God. That's why we need Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect human being, who Colossians 1 said was in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was perfectly human. He was rational. He had a mind. He had morality. He was responsible. He cared for creation. He represented God. He was forgiving. He was holy. He was loving. He was relational. He spoke chose to spend time with people and with his heavenly Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who was fully God yet fully man, he walked to that cross so that you and I could have a relationship with God again. And friends, that is the most important relationship in your life. As a human being, the most important relationship in your life is your relationship with God. I'm a chronic people pleaser. Words of affirmation are my love language. I to keep reminding myself that God's words and God's affirmation and God's praise is all that really matters. So who are you? You are created by God in the image of God and very briefly for the glory of God. That's your purpose. That's your purpose in life, to live for the glory of God. Not to live for yourself, but for God's glory. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the Glory of God. Colossians 3, whatever you do, in word or deed, do it in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That is liberating. As we live in this world, we just want to please him and seek him and obey him and worship him. So friends, you're not living for your career or your family or your friends or your bank balance. You're living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember our church's vision about living for Jesus and loving like Jesus. That's what we are created to be, to live for the glory of God. So who are you? The world says you'll be happiest when you be who you want to be. And God says, no, you'll be happiest when you live who you are meant to be created fearfully and wonderfully made by God with dignity and value and worth in his image as rational, relational, responsible people but living for his glory and seeking his praise let me pray Father God thank you for reminding us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made that our dignity, our worth, our value, our identity is, is found in you and you alone. Help us to, to, to believe that, to live it, and to find our security in you. And we ask that for Jesus' sake.